All right, good morning, Grace Church. I want to welcome you again to Church in the Home. And what a glorious time we are going to have together. I trust you enjoyed the worship. For me, the worship is the most important thing because it brings the presence of God into our homes. And that's a wonderful blessing to have the presence of God. I want to say, first of all, Happy Mother's Day to all you wonderful mothers out there. Cheers to you. I salute you with both hands, and I say God bless you richly. God bless you richly. And uh, we're going to have a great time in the Word together. Now, all over Malaysia and, and different parts, I guess, who are celebrating Mother's Day today, Pastors who have searched out messages that they would try to encourage you from different mothers from the Bible, people like Sarah, or people like Rebecca, or people like Hannah, uh, like Jochebed, uh, like Ruth. And, and I was encouraged as I was reading the Bible from Lewis, the grandmother of Timothy. And it talks about her great faith. And because of her great faith, Timothy became the man he was. Now, the reason I just mentioned that in passing is because I was tremendously, I am who I am today as a preacher because I had a wonderful grandmother who prayed for me. So it's very important for you mothers to understand that your prayers are powerful and that you can do great things uh, through your prayers, just by your praying and, and uh, laying your hands upon your grandchildren and mothers pray, you know, laying your hands on your children. God's going to use that to be a tremendous blessing. You do not know how far the blessing is going to uh, continue. Amen. From generation to generation to generation. Hallelujah. But this morning, I want to use a character from the Word of God, uh, which I have never heard preachers preach on. And uh, never heard. I've never even preached on this person before in my entire ministry of 40 over years. But this morning, I'd like to speak on the title, Scandalous or saints. The scripture I'm taking is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 5 through verse 7, and I'm going to kind of summarize it and just read this portion out to you. Boaz and Ruth had a son named Obed, who was the father of Jesse, and Jesse had a son named David, who became king. Then David and Bathsheba had a son named Solomon. Some of your translations would say, and David and Bathsheba, who was the wife of Uriah, had a son named Solomon. So today you can guess that I'm using Bathsheba as an example for all of us. Both men and women, we can both learn from this. Now today, as I'd like to change our thinking in regards to this woman because throughout the scriptures uh, studies of different writers not really the scriptures but throughout the studies from different writers we have them writing about Bathsheba in a very uh, uh, not not a, in a very unpleasant manner they call her a scandalous woman in the genealogy of Jesus Christ a scandalous woman but as I began to look into her life as I began to go into the background of Bathsheba, I found out that she was not really uh, what people think she was. And you know what? Sometimes we need to understand the background of a person before we can understand what they have gone through and what life has made them become, you know. And we need to look at that because sometimes we are so uh, 
prejudiced in our judgment of people. Uh, we judge them almost at, on first basis when we see them, when we meet them, when we hear them. And so we can come to certain conclusions that could be certainly wrong. So I'd like to suggest to us today that Bathsheba was not the kind of person that most writers put her out to be. I'd like to suggest to you that there are three areas. I'd like to cover these three areas, and I ask you to consider them with me for this morning concerning Bathsheba being a wonderful mother and a wonderful example. Number one, I'd like to believe that Bathsheba was a virtuous woman. Often in the case of Bible writers, they identify a woman by her husband or by the father. But in the case of Bathsheba, you will discover that she's not identified just by uh, her, her husband and her father, but also her grandfather, which tells me that God must have had a special place for this woman. And he includes her entire background for us to study her, for us to understand the kind of woman she really was. And if we just look a little bit into her background, we will discover that she was more than meets the eye. Let me talk to you, first of all, about her father. Now, the Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 11 that she was the daughter of a guy called Eliam. Eliam. Now, Eliam means God is my kinsman. That was his name. So you can understand that Eliam was a man who had a good upbringing and a name that was given to him, which, which kind of identified who he was. It was more prophetic. It was more descriptive of life. In those days, when they gave a person a name, it was meant to be a prophetic thing. It was meant to be to describe their entire destiny. Like, for example, you got Jacob. He was called a cheater. But then God changed his name and gave him Israel, which kind of defined him. This is actually who you are, Jacob. David was called beloved. In other words, somebody who was loved by God and somebody who loved God. Moses was called Moses simply because his name meant to draw out. And isn't that what Moses did? He took the people out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land. So, uh, Eliam means God is my kinsmen, which means I belong to the family of God. Church, I want you to know it is so important for us to give names that are prophetic, names that would describe the future of our children. It's important for us to give them names that they can, they can adopt for themselves. They can take it and make it become real to themselves. You know, like uh, when we give the name like Jonathan or Joanna, when we gave them those names, it was to say to them, listen, every one of you, you're a gift of God and you're a gift from God to, to not only to us, but towards the world. And, and we pray over our children that they might be used by God to be a blessing. Now, besides his name being, I am a kinsman of God, you also see the way he named his daughter. He must have had divine inspiration. He named his daughter Bathsheba. Now, I wonder how many of us would name our daughters Bathsheba. And the reason we don't do that is because we kind of identify her with something that is scandalous. That's why I want to change the way we think. I think people would still not name her Bathsheba because it's tied in with a very nasty event, all right? We wouldn't name our daughter Jezebel or Delilah because it's tied in with a very, very nasty, uh, nasty uh, scenes, nasty stories. So I'd like that to change. But the word Bathsheba actually means daughter 
of promise. Daughter of promise, which means, daughter, you were promised to us. We prayed for you. We believed for you. And now you are a promise from God to us. But it is also, it also has a meaning uh, that she is, she has a promise. Not only is she, uh, does she have, is she a promise to us? But she also has a promise in her life. I want you to grasp this daughter that you are not only a promise to us, but God has a tremendous promise for you. And more than that, it was also meant to be, daughter, you are a fulfillment to God's promise for the land of Israel. Without realizing it, Eliam gave her a prophetic name that somewhere, no matter what happened in her life, she would become a tremendous blessing and come into the lineage of Jesus himself. And that's something, so it's important for us to give powerful names to our children. You can tell that this man was really a godly man. But besides his name, we also discover that Eliam, the father of Bathsheba, was one of David's mighty men. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, you find a list of, of David's mighty men. And included in that list, uh, in chapter 23 and verse 34, I read this. One of the names given was Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gileadite. So God uh, had used this man. He was not just a, a man with a good name, but he was also a mighty man. So here he is, a man who is godly a man who is one of David's mighty men who proved himself on the battlefield. This is the father of Bathsheba. So she had a godly father. Now, how about her husband? Just like in different parts of the world, even until today, like even in India, you would have arranged marriages. So it was in the time of the Bible. They would look out for a bride or a bridegroom and bring them both together. They would study the families. They would study the background. And by the way, uh, there's been a study made and they found out that arranged marriages last longer than love marriages. <laughs> right? But anyway, they had marriages that were arranged. And the man, Eliam, would have been looking out for her, her father, you know, would have been looking out for a wonderful husband for his daughter, the daughter that held a promise, the daughter who was a promise, the daughter who was in line to the fulfillment of God's promises. He was looking out for a wonderful husband. And so as a mighty general in the army of David, his eyes would have gone over the fields of, uh, of soldiers uh, and warriors and, and, and captains and all of them and studying, looking out for a warrior who would be like him, brave and loyal and uh, fighting for the cause of God. And as his eyes began to go through, it looks like he didn't really find a good person to, to good enough to marry his daughter. What he found was this guy by the name of Uriah. Uriah, who was a Hittite. The Bible tells us he was a Hittite. He was not a Jew. But somehow, Eliam's prophetic eyes began to see that this guy was someone that would be a wonderful husband to his daughter Bathsheba. He was a great warrior. His name meant flame of Yahweh, a given name to him. It was definitely not, he was not a Jewish uh, uh, young man. He was a Hittite. So the name that was given to him was a Jewish name and it meant the flame 
of Yahweh. He burned with a passion, not only for the God that the that the David served, but also a passion to see that the cause of God was was uh, defended, and and he was he became such a mighty warrior. And all of this, it is believed by historians that he was inspired by the life of David. And that's why he embraced the Jewish faith. And that's why he followed David and was one of David's right-hand men, one of the 30 mighty warriors that stood with David. And that's something. So Eliam looked out and he saw this guy is the right guy to marry my daughter. So he was a godly man and he chose a godly husband, godly husband for his daughter Bathsheba. But you know what? She grew up in this home where she had a godly father, a very brave, loyal husband. But more than that, she had a wise grandfather. His name was Ahithophel. Ahithophel, in 2 Samuel chapter 23, we find his name written. And in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 12, he's known as David's great counselor. In 2 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 23, you read this, the counsel that Ahithophel gave in those days was treated as if God himself had spoken. Think about that for a while. The counsel that Ahithophel gave in those days was as if God himself had spoken, which simply means that Ahithophel was the voice of God was the voice of God. When he spoke, it was like God was talking to David. David had, of course, he had Samuel before that, and then he had Nathan the prophet. But when it came to the wise counsel, David depended on this person called Ahithophel. And isn't that something? Wonderful counsel from this man. So here we have this woman, Bathsheba. And I want you to just try and understand this. This is her background. She comes from a godly family with a godly father. She comes uh, married to this wonderful man called Uriah, who is a great warrior, the flame of Yahweh, a passionate man. And she has this wonderful grandfather who is so wise in his counsel. Now, don't you think that the grandfather would have counseled her as well? So I suggest to us today that Bathsheba was actually a very, very virtuous woman, a virtuous woman. That's my first point, that she was not scandalous. She was basically a saint because she grew up in this kind of a background. But also, secondly, I'd like to suggest that Bathsheba was a victim. She was not vicious. She was a victim of the entire scenario. Sometimes we paint a picture of David being, you know, a man beloved by God, and, and we see him as a man who cannot do any evil. But we know the story of David. And uh, I'd like to suggest to us that if we read the story carefully, at no time does Nathan the prophet come and address David. Uh, address Bathsheba, I'm sorry. Address Bathsheba. He begins to talk to David directly. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing Adam did was he blamed his wife. He said, you know, the woman that you gave me. But when he came to this sin in the Bible, 
David doesn't say, oh, it's because of Bathsheba. You know, she went and did this and, and she tempted me or she seduced me. No, no, no. David accepts full responsibility. If you read Psalm 51, then you will discover that David accepts complete responsibility for, for the sin that he committed. He, he knew that he was the one to blame. Now, I want us to understand that she was the spouse of one of David's greatest men, one of David's trusted officers. She's related to two, two of the uh, mighty men in David's army. She's related to both of them. One was her father, the other was the husband, and the counselor was her grandfather. But yet, we begin to read that Ahithophel later on begins to turn against David. And uh, I, I'm just thinking this through. I thought, you know, I'm a grandfather too. If somebody kind of did that to my granddaughter, you know, I, I would feel so, so upset, so mad with this person. Yet, I, I think maybe that could have been the reason why Ahithophel later on turned against David, rebelled against David. Of course, he wound up, you know, he committed suicide. But the thing is, it began to eat up on the inside of him, looking for an opportunity where he could really address this situation. And when the opportunity was given, it rose up within, within him. And bitterness always has a way of rising up inside of us. And the story ends sadly for Ahithophel. But when we begin to think about this, think about how Bathsheba must have felt. How this whole scenario must have pained her. She had been abused and treated as a commodity. She was uh, powerless to change her circumstances. She was afraid of how her husband would have looked at her, discovering that she was pregnant. And that also by his close mentor, his king, David. She had her hands tied as David began to plot to kill her husband, there was no way she could have said anything because he was the king. He commanded her to come to his palace. He slept with her. He sent her back. She had lost her dignity as a godly woman. She was basically raped. Uh, she had lost the man she truly loved. It tells us that when her husband died, I read in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 26, it says this, and when you, the wife of Uriah heard that her husband was dead, she moaned for her husband. And I looked up the word moan. Is it just like, you know, like a moaning season that she went through? No, no. It says this, to wail, to lament, to tear the hair, to beat the breast. I mean, I've seen this in, in quite a few funerals, you know, especially in, in Indian homes and when there is no hope and, and I see the way they cry and, and beat the chest. In fact, in one, one case, uh, I was there at the funeral of one of the men and uh, while they were crying and weeping, his brother was standing at the top of the staircase and he's beating his chest. Then he collapsed and he himself died. He had a heart attack and he died in, in, in the grieving. And so here is this woman who loved her husband, loved her husband tremendously. That's why I'm saying that she was a virtuous woman and she was also a victim. And we must be very careful as to understand people as they walk into our family, into our church. And we must, you know, try to understand. We don't know everyone's story. Some come in and they are very quiet. Some come in, they don't say anything. Some come in with tears in their eyes. And, and we can only just surmise what they are going through. But we don't really know their story. I'm beginning to think, can any one of us relate to this scenario? 
you know, we've gone through emotional hell. Things have been done. Things have been said to us. And uh, it, it, we are just victims of what has taken place. She, she didn't ask for this to happen. You know, uh, two Mother's Days ago, two years ago, I spoke to you on Job's wife. And I said, you know, that here is this woman. Sometimes we look at her, we look at what she said, you know, curse God and die. We make her out to be a bad person. But Job's wife stood over the graves, freshly dug graves of ten children. Job's wife lost everything. One moment she was the wealthiest woman in the land. The next moment she was bankrupt. She lost everything. She's standing there during this time of the corona uh, virus thing. Many deaths and many sad, sad scenarios and many who can't even go for the funeral of a loved one or two loved ones. But here she is standing over the grave over 10, freshly dug graves of 10 of her children. And uh, it's so easy for us to, to succumb to a victim mentality. Instead of being victorious, we are victims. Yes, life is unfair. Things happen to us. We never expected all these things to happen, but things do happen. And we can easily submit to a victim mentality. But instead of that, you know, we need to choose the direction we take in our lives. I'll never forget listening to a story about this American man who visited a little village in India. And while walking through the village, he met the head man and he began to tell, you know, talk to him about what was happening in the village. And he says, you know, back in America years ago, he said, in a small little village called Sinking Spring Farm in Kentucky, a great man was born. And he became the president of America. That great man was Abraham Lincoln. And then he looked at the head man and he said, has any great man been born in your village? And the man shook his head and he says, no, 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 sir. The only people that are born in our village are babies. Which means that there is no one that's born great. Neither has there been anyone that's born, uh, you know, bad. There are no born murderers and born thieves and, and born great people. Everyone's born babies, but people choose the direction they want to go through. We can always talk about the bad times we went through. I mean, can you think about Joseph? You read his story and not any time, none, not once does he share about the bad times he went through. I mean, the man was the richest man. He was uh, next in line to take over his father's place. The father already gave him the coat, which meant that, son, you're going to take over. He knew that he, would, he was destined for greatness. But what happens is he's beaten, thrown in a pit, later on charged for a crime he did not commit. He's in prison. The prisoners that he helped forgot about him. Man, the, went, the guy went through hell, but he never developed a victim mentality. Think about our Lord Jesus Christ and all the abuse that he went through. Do you ever hear him talking about, I was so poor, I was born in a manger. Where were you guys born? I was born in a manger, man. My father and mother were so poor, man. I mean, he never talked about the abuse. They called him son of Mary, which meant that we don't know who your father is, man. I mean, it's bad. It's bad. But did he develop a victim mentality? In likewise, you know, that's why Jesus said, I have overcome the world. You can overcome also. Thank God that Bathsheba, although she was a victim, yet, you know, 
She comes out of it, and that's my final point. She was victorious. Bathsheba was victorious. It says this in 2 Samuel chapter 12, 24, 25. David, David goes in, comforts his wife, and they have a son. And they call him Solomon. And the Lord loved him and sent word through Nathan the prophet. And Nathan the prophet names him Jedediah, which means for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, Jedediah, for the Lord's sake. Jedediah, by the way, means beloved of the Lord. And he, he was also given the name Solomon, which means peace, which means peace. Now think about this. This was a marriage that wasn't supposed to happen. Yet God crowned it with his blessings. Why? To teach us that life, there is life beyond sin. There is life beyond tragedy. There's life be beyond the mistakes that we make. There's life beyond failure. And although this was the greatest failure in David's life, he had a few other failures, but this was his greatest failure. Against thee, thee only have I sinned, he said in Psalm 51, concerning this sin. Although it was a terrible thing that happened and should not have happened, yet God graced it. God blessed it. And he tells us this, that church, I want you to understand that there is life beyond our failures. Life beyond our failures. Life beyond our the disasters that we face. Life beyond the loss of job. Life beyond death. There is still life that carries on for us. And we must become, like Bathsheba, victorious. They had a wonderful son by the name of Solomon. I read in 1 Chronicles chapter 3 and verse 5, Bathsheba had four sons. Guess what? One of the names of the son was Nathan. Now here's the question. Would you name your son after someone who has come in, like Nathan the prophet, came in and rebuked David, would you still name your son after someone who has come to rebuke you? See, the thing is, because they were so graced by God, so blessed by God, they knew the forgiveness and the mercy of God, his name is named. They name him Nathan. Huh, that's really something else, isn't it? Now, she was not a perfect woman. Not the model of a perfect woman, but she certainly is a woman whose life was tremendously touched by God. She wound up more, uh, a victorious person. And that's what I want to share with you this, this uh, today, that you can come out of whatever situation you are in as a mother. You may have gone through hell. You have gone through real, real hurts in your life. And you are being crushed by all these things that happened to you. But I don't think the things that happened to uh, Bathsheba, you, you have not gone through the same kind of things that Bathsheba went through. I'm sure that, you know, your, your troubles may have been plenty. But think of the hurts that she went through, yet she comes out victorious. Now, I said, you know, that, I want to use her as one of the best examples. The reason I'm saying that is because Bathsheba had a wonderful son by the name of Solomon. Now, my question is, who wrote the book of Proverbs? Solomon. What's the best chapter in that book for women? Chapter 31. Listen to what chapter 31, verses 1 through verse 3 says. King Lemuel's royal words of wisdom. These are the inspired words my mother taught me. 
Who taught him? My mother taught him. Right? Listen, my dear son, son of my womb, you are the answer to my prayers, my son. So keep yourself sexually pure from the promiscuous, wayward women. Don't waste your strength, the strength of your anointing. Don't waste the strength of your anointing on those who ruin kings. You live to regret it. Another translation says, don't waste. This is an inspired utterance his mother taught him. King James Version, the prophecy that his mother taught him. Maybe he was a, a young man when, when the mother began to speak to him and say, my son, I'm warning you. I'd like you to not to give yourself over to promiscuous women. And yet that's exactly what Solomon did. But the point is, this was the advice of a wonderful mother to her son, King Lemuel. Now, who's Lemuel? Jewish historians believe that Lemuel was a pet name given by Bathsheba to Solomon. Lemuel means devoted to God. So here we have son, being a Solomon is wonderful, but I'd like your name to be Lemuel. I'm going to call you Lemuel, which means I want you to be devoted to God. Being a man of peace, that's what Solomon means, peace. It, you need something more than this. I want you to be totally devoted to God. So here is Bathsheba. She is the one who taught Solomon Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs 31, given by his mother Bathsheba. That's why I believe that Bathsheba was not just a victim of the, her circumstances, but she became victorious. In spite of all that happened to her, she rose up. And so mothers today, I want to challenge you, even the fathers who are listening, young men, young women listening to this, you don't have to succumb and submit to the spirit of being a victim. You can become victorious. Paul the Apostle uh, encourages us to be able to come to a place where we can say, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. I trust that the Lord would continue to speak into your heart even after this message is over, that you will not begin to constantly look at your uh, uh, circumstances, begin to look at the background and begin to think, oh, if only I had come out of a better background, or if only this had not happened to me, if only that person didn't do this to me, you would begin to forget about those things and say, although these things happened to me, just like it happened to to. Uh, Joseph, just like it happened to uh, Job's wife, just like it happened to Bathsheba. God, make me victorious. Cause me to rise above this, all these things, and become victorious. Let me say like the Apostle Paul, in all these things, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, with that in mind, I'd like to service communion before we close in prayer. So what I'd like us to do is to begin to use this and say, Lord, I thank you for what you did for me at Calvary because you provided the very means for me to have victory. You provided your broken body. You provided your shed blood so that I can become victorious. Now listen, the broken body is actually the body of Christ, which is the word of God. Two ingredients when we begin to partake of communion. The Word of God, which is bread, and the cup, 
which symbolizes the blood. Two things, the Word of God and the presence of God. So as we partake of this, understand that these are the two elements that will help us through no matter what we go through. Okay? As we partake of this, say, Lord, I thank you. As I partake of the bread, I thank you that you're going to enrich my life. I'm not just, just the, the physical bread, but I'm also going to partake of the Word of God, the, 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 the Bible, as I begin to go through it. And I also depend much upon your presence, and it's your blood that gives me this uh, privilege to enter into your presence, to enjoy your presence. So I'd like us to begin to take the bread together right now. Let's begin to thank God. On the same day in which Jesus was betrayed, he said, take, broke it, take, eat, he said. This is my body. This is my body. The living word, the living word, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So he broke the bread, breaking of his body, representing the opening of the word of God to us. So that with your word, you sent your word and you healed us. So we partake of the healing virtue of Christ. We begin to say, thank you, Lord, that your bread brings healing to every area of my life. I trust that the message you heard would bring healing to your life. Amen. Father, I ask right now that you will bless this bread as we partake of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we hold the cup up and we begin to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. It's your blood that brings the presence of God into my home, the blessings of God that follow when your presence begins to come. So as I partake of the cup, Lord, I'm depending upon your presence to help me through this period of our, uh, this season of our life. We do not know what it, it brings forth, but we want to say, Lord, we thank you so much. Thank you so much. You shed your blood so that I can enjoy the richness that your presence brings. Bless now the cup, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Having heard the word today, let me just pray for you that God will richly bless you before we close the service. Father, I just want to say thank you. There are certain examples that we don't see from the word of God. You hide them, and yet you still mention them openly in the genealogy of your son, Jesus Christ. Bathsheba was one of those. And we pray that you would use this as an example to challenge our hearts, to encourage us, that it doesn't matter what happens to us. It is how we respond to life now that we have received you. Thank you for your word that encourages us. I thank you that the word of God is truth because it shows us examples of people that went through hell literally and yet they came out so strong. And it is all because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. How he pours this grace into us. For your grace, and, and as it is poured into us, makes us strong. My strength is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. So I pray that your people will be blessed with the same kind of grace that visited Bathsheba and caused them to rise, especially for all the mothers today 
Oh God, I pray that you would so bless them. Sometimes they are taken for granted. Sometimes they are just not noticed at all. All the work that they do seem to go unappreciated. And in spite of all of that, they still carry on with a smile on their faces, still carrying on with everything that they are doing. Father, I pray for all these women who go through much abuse in life very often. And I thank you that you are always near to them and to encourage them and to build their spirits up for this day especially. Encourage them on this Mother's Day. Lift them up, Lord. Cause their spirits to arise. Let there be a smile on their faces once again, knowing that you love them with a great love. I speak a blessing upon every mother, every grandmother. I pray for all the women, Lord, that you would so bless them today in a special way. I give you praise and I give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let's just lift our hands to the Lord. Let me just pronounce a blessing. May the Lord so bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the blessed communion of the Holy Spirit be with each one of you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for welcoming us into your homes. Be blessed. Keep on keeping on. Keep tuning in to our online services. The Lord be with you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, wow, the service has come to an end so quickly. And uh, stay connect connected with us through WhatsApp, through the social media, through Zoom. And very soon, we'll be able to meet up again. So God bless you. And see you next week on live stream. So have a wonderful week, everybody. God bless you. Woo!